might have heard that the Talica boys were gonna play some heavy shit tonight. Welcome back to another episode of Metal Tales from the Road. My guest and you all out there are going to have to bear with me. Uh, the cold that you heard on this week's episode has started to do its thing. I'm in my mid-30s, and these days, colds are just no joke. I'm here with Rakesh Gopalan. What's up, Rakesh? How's it going? It's good, dude. I feel like in my 30s, I don't know how you are. I'm sure we're similar ages, but I feel like my wife and I were talking last night. It's like, getting a cold is kind of no joke anymore. Yeah. <laughs> because it just yeah. it really will fuck up like a whole week of my life. Yeah, you want to you you want to do you know you want to do things and uh, yeah, I'm in my late 30s, so I've I've got the same issues. You got all these plans, and all of a sudden, a stupid little cold will will affect you more than it used to. It really does. Dude. I used to get like maybe one cold every two or three years, and when I I would almost look forward to it, like oh, I have a cold now. I'm a human being. I'm I'm affected by shit. These days, if it's coming up, I'm like, oh no, I can't. I'm I might get my kid sick. I might get my wife sick. I can't get her sick because if she doesn't go to school, I'm super fucked. And I have if I have to go like do a write somewhere, I'm fucked. And then I'm gonna get them sick and get their kids sick. Basically, fast forward and it's just nuclear fallout. The zombies are in the White House and it's just the whole planet's over. It's the Walking Dead all over again. Exactly. No, you know what? It, you know what it is. It's just the daycare stuff. It's you know having kids makes it even worse because right. they they bring stuff in too. So totally. Do you have kids? Yeah, I've got a couple of kids. I've got a girl and a boy, seven and a four year old. Okay, yeah, I've got a four-year-old, too. Yeah, you're right, dude. It's so good for them to go, like, get sick there and get all those germs and build up their immune systems and stuff. But they, I remember when she first started going to daycare, she brought that shit home for, like, two years. It was like, wow. Right, and it's, like, new strains of stuff. You're like, yeah, they're <laughs> that's like, awesome. Yeah, it's like, it's like Alien, you know? Like, when <laughs> in Aliens, when the second one comes, it's like, yeah. it's a more powerful alien they've learned and they know. And Anyway, right, this right. is an all-Metallica podcast. <laughs> We're talking. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe we're I like. I thought it was a health and wellness podcast, right? Maybe we're like Doctor Phil meets Doctor Phil, and right. it's sort of like psychological and medical podcast now, <laughs> right? Um, no, we're talking about the Raleigh Show. So it's good to have you here. For those of you who may not know what this is, Metal Tales is when we invite our patrons to come on the show and tell us their whole Metallica backstory and give us a rundown of the show that we couldn't be there at. We're like flies on the wall. I like these gigs because uh, they're more about you than me. So I get to ask more questions and do more listening. So let's lead off here with, uh, tell, tell us kind of briefly, what's your Metallica story? You're in your mid to late 30s. So what does that mean that you're kind of a Justice Black album guy or what kind of walk us through uh, that? Well, so I, I got on the ride probably um, in 94, sort of just in the height of the Black album. Mm-hmm. era just kind of listening to the songs on the radio but never you know just you know, i liked metallica it was it was fine uh and then right around when the loads came out a childhood friend of mine from arizona you know got me into the back catalog and it was like you know like a whole world opened up for me and you know, just, just like many of the listeners and many of us it just you know just starting from the from the beginning from kill em all down 
you know, through, uh, at the time it was, it was a load. It, it, it was just, I, I couldn't get enough. And it, it's crazy now being such a crazy Metallica fan, like we all are, there's, you know, whatever, 130 some original songs of theirs, uh, you know, and, and you still feel like you can't get enough. I mean, back then that was several albums before. So it was, um, it was, uh, it was just a crazy time. I feel the same way. Like when I think now about kind of being more of a black album kid and then going back and I was just thinking to ask you about, was it weird hearing like, you know, the rawness of Hit the Lights? But I remember for me, maybe it was like this for you, it didn't feel that different to me. Like, it just, I was so excited to gobble it all up, you know? You know, I I, I probably had a slightly different experience because I thought that Kill em All um, was, was very different sounding, right. you know, to my ears because I, you know, Metallica was just like for many people sort of the gateway drug into, you know, um, or gateway, whatever, you know, in, into, uh, hard and heavy music and, and actual drugs <laughs> right, right, right. Gateway right. Drug in, to, in some cases. <laughs> yeah. The gateway drug to venom and heroin. Right, right. My 14 year old self. That's right. No, <laughs> um, you know, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I especially when you're used to hearing on the radio, you're hearing Sandman, you're hearing Rome, you're hearing Until It Sleeps. It's all MTV curated, Bob Rock, perfect production. Sure. And yeah. then you go back and you look, you know, at the time it's like tapes, right? And maybe if you're lucky, a CD. Yeah. And you, you go and listen to Kill 'Em All and it's like it and, and, and you know, James's voice is higher. Yeah. It, it sounded so different. It was hard for me to reconcile that album. You know, once you start getting into ride, it's it's you know it's quite different. But 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 of course, you know, I fell in love with everything. I think for me it was that we always had like older brothers or older cousins who instilled in us that, that were kind of bummed about the '90s stuff. So we always right. had this thing hovering above our heads of like this is like um, we had a reverence for that material, the early stuff. Even though you're right, it's sonically so different. I just think we always were afraid. <laughs> like, I think we always had this sort of, like, hard face about it of, like, well, th this Seek and Destroy is the real shit. You know? Right. You know, like, that's kind of just my memory of it all meshed together. So, you did you grow up in Arizona? Yeah, I grew up in Arizona until, well, until I was 15, and I moved to uh, to the East Coast, to Virginia, and, and then kind of made my way down, uh, down south after college and law school to Charlotte. What was the first show that you saw? Uh, so the first show I saw was December 31st, 1999 in Detroit at the, um, you know, the, the New Year's Eve, uh, you know, the fake millennial, <laughs> millennial right. party. Wow. And it was, uh, it was, it was amazing. I mean, that was a show where they, they played two by four, you know, I know you guys have talked about, you know, random deep cuts from, from load. They played two yep. by four. They, um, you know, that was a show they, they, Ted Nugent was there, um, and they, they did that whole Detroit Rock City at the very end, which you, you would, you would love. Is this the uh, Pontiac Silverdome? Yep. All right. I'm trying to pull the set list up. Did Kid Rock play too? Yep. Wow. They opened uh, no, up no, with. Sorry. Did Kid Rock play that one? I know he started oh, playing in the sanitarium. So they opened uh, with Die My Darling. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was, I think, right. When Garage yeah, Inc. A few months out. after, after yeah, a few months after Garage Inc. came out, yeah. And you got the Masterterium kind of. I, I saw that a couple times on the Summer Sanitarium tour. It's interesting. I I didn't think anything of it, but yeah. I, I'm so glad they they separated. And it's funny, like for, if you look at the you know if you're like a setlist nerd and you look at the stats, mm -hmm. you know you see like okay, Master of Puppets been played essentially every song 
that there is a, every concert there is a, able you know that they were able to play right except for like this random chunk of 30 or whatever because they played Masterterium. <laughs> right right did they i guess they just did it for those couple of years yeah 99 I I, like for summer 2000 and like this 99 i wonder if they played it was that the debut of that of Masterterium? Uh, I don't know. I can pull it up while we're talking. But but I I think that the they were really big into those medleys. I think they had gotten so big and they they were getting new fans at such a huge clip that maybe they wanted to just jam. Remember they did uh, on the cutting stunts. They did the kill ride medley. Yeah. Um, They've done justice. They did just medley even back in binge and purge. So I, I don't know. I mean, they they really. I mean, they really haven't done medleys after that. No, yeah. I've been kind of worried they might try to do a load-reload medley, which would kind of bum me out. Although I'd be glad to see that material, but that seems like the logical next medley to do, right? Yeah, no, I, I think th- I think that would be good. I mean, right, right now, you, you guys have talked about it. They, they don't have a load-reload slot. They have a reload slot, which yeah. is really just fuel and memory remains. And yeah. it, you know, it, it's surprising to me because... Until It Sleeps, King Nothing, those were not only big popular songs, they're relatively short, they're radio staples, you know, it's just interesting to me that they they play that so rarely. I agree. On the one hand, it's like, well, they have so much material to get through, so I see that. On the other hand, though, you're right, those are just, if they're going to be playing to the people, those are odd songs to leave out, for sure. Right. But if you're looking, I mean, they're playing 18 songs a night. I guess they, ha- you know, and and they got a new record to promote that's real good. So I can kind of see all the sides of it. I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see what happens after Europe this year. Like it, it, whatever kind of touring they do, that's going to yeah. be fascinating because they're gonna they're gonna sort of legitimately be able to shed some of the hardwired tunes. And I wonder what that's going to open up. You know. Yeah, I, 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 you know, it, so at the beginning of the show, and we'll get into the show in a second, but but James talks, or not beginning, at some point during the show, James says, you know, we're going to be playing some old stuff, and then uh, some new stuff, and then stuff from the middle of our career, and I'm thinking, that's uh, sort of true, yeah, two songs from from 1991 until, and they didn't play any Death Magnetic, so from 91 until uh, 2016, mm-hmm. they they played two songs, right, <laughs> Well, so I guess would you be would you include the uh, the black album tunes in that? Yeah, so, so okay, ninety two, right? So so from ninety two onwards, right, until two thousand sixteen, yeah, they play two songs. So it's just interesting how they choose it. I know Lars I agree. is kind of the architect of that. No, I um, I totally agree. In fact, just hearing you talk about that, if they were going to do another medley, you know what I really wouldn't mind is a Saint Anger medley. That way, they can sort of acknowledge <laughs> the record. We don't have to hear any of the full songs. Like frantic into sane anger into some kind of monster into dirty window boom and it's you know six minutes long and there's your sane anger portion. Well, I, I just checked with a statistician and there's exactly a zero percent chance of that. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I just checked with all the scientists in the world and they all said no way. But you know what though, impossible. I, you know, I um, I was listening. You know, I do. I, I know everyone has sort of pre-show rituals. Mm-hmm. I just go through their their catalog front to back. Yeah, and I, you know, I had listened to Saint Anger. Frankly, that's the only, only time I voluntarily put on Saint Anger if it's not on shuffle. Um, just to get and, you pumped, you know, just to, so you can be sort of in your yeah, ritual, just, sort of be completist and get the whole vibe. Exactly, yeah, just so cool. I have the whole thing, and it's it's kind of like a cult like weird thing. But going through that, it, it's still you know we, we talk about that. It's still abrasive. It's still hard to hear the the sonic elements, and and you guys did that you know your episode on it. But 
you know, particularly th- there's some there's some good good music buried in there. And, yeah. you know, they did the all within my hands acoustic. So then hearing it in the original version again, aside from the, <laughs> the kill, kill, kill part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's some good stuff in there. I agree. I mean, at the end of the day, it was still Metallica. You right. know, I, I think even though there was kind of a, a lostness to them and maybe one of the only times they tried to follow trends around them. And and, and what a horrible time to do that because <laughs> all the music from that time that they were maybe trying to emulate, Corn, Limp Bizkit, System of a Down, that kind of late 90s new metal vibe, that music right. hasn't aged really well at all, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. And neither Although has I, I like I like System. But, I do too. But other than that, uh, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I mean, it. I wasn't a huge fan of it at the time either, but... Yeah, it definitely had its place, and you didn't know, you know, that was the whole Eminem. Remember that time when Lars, he basically looked like Eminem. Oh yeah, he had that, that frosted tips and all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, that was a that was, that was a weird time for all of us. Yeah, it was a weird time for everyone. And and it's, yeah, you mentioned all within my hands. It's true. Like you hear it that way, and you can start to sort of understand what's really good beneath it. And it's cool because they kind of did my work for me because I was going to do that one. But hearing them kind of repurpose it that way, like I kind of tackled the unnamed feeling, and I feel yeah. like I've done my duty to Saint Anger. I don't know yeah. if I'll be revisiting that material for any future cover or blackens, but it's interesting that, that yeah, that they, they, I mean, they played that just recently. They named their foundation after that. So, <clears throat> and I know that they're like you know their payroll is called Frantic Incorporated. Like they have they have interesting homages to that era. You know, I yeah I I think that. If I were to be an armchair psychologist, I think that, you know, James probably feels it was just such an important part of their career, but such a weird part of their career. And the music had to come out the way it had to come out. Yeah. But it's just not it's such a such a such a rare kind of uh, or strange element, you know, of their catalog. Yes. That it, it just doesn't work in a 22,000 seat arena. Right. It. Yeah. But it means a lot to him. You yeah. Know? Well, and it's easy to look back now all these years later and be like, well, here, what they should have done is blah, blah, blah. Like, But I do remember kind of when you're just on that ride, and, and I know as an artist, too, sometimes you don't you don't know what's good. Like, you just have to make the stuff that you're making. You see the uh, whatever. You're looking at a block of ice, and you see the goose in your head, and you're just trying to carve that fucking goose out of it. Right. And when it's done, all you can do is deliver it to the party at Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead and hope that everyone likes it. <laughs> Remember, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Right, right, right. I and they have that. the goot, the fucking swan carved out of ice. Yeah. yeah so, a... spe- well, speaking of what you do, so you're a lawyer, right? And Raleigh, you, you've dubbed yourself the metal lawyer number two. Yeah, I think somebody wrote into you earlier before me beat me to the punch. Yeah, right. no, I'm actually I actually live in Charlotte. So, oh, Charlotte. Okay. I was, yeah, I was here. I was just trying to catch up. Chris, you're just what Jim before the Charlotte show, but yeah, I'm I'm here in Charlotte, and I drove up uh, for the Raleigh show. What kind of law do you practice? I do uh, corporate transactional work, so uh, you know, buying and selling companies. Pretty metal. Yeah, <laughs> totally metal. He, James James made fun of somebody for being told somebody didn't have socks on. I don't know why he singled him out, and he goes, "You don't have socks on." That's or maybe it was Jim Brewer. I can't remember. He said, "Okay, you don't have socks on." That's both very metal and not metal. <laughs> what does that mean? It's funny how some bands are just metal, you know, metal really is just an attitude. I tell people all the time, like, you know, what I do playing music live, it's just definitely, it's like one of the biggest no-nos you can imagine to not wear pants. Like, shorts are completely anathema in in the performance world. (laughs) And yet, go, go try to find a picture of anyone in Pantera wearing pants. 
Right. All those dudes wore shorts, and that's kind of yeah. metal, you know? Well, Rob didn't. I mean, Rob, for a while. He was uh, rocking, like, the know, basketball work. jersey vibe, right? Right, right, right. He's looking good these days. I, I like his more, like, Armani look. Like, great, nice gray pants, nice dark-colored shirt. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think um, when he – I was just looking at something the other day when he was first – you know, there's some kind of monster, like, when he was first introduced. He looked – I think he is, might be slightly younger, but only by a couple of years than the guys. Mm-hmm. He looked younger than yeah. the guys, and, they, yeah. and the guys were kind of weathered in that time period anyway. And, and now, not to say he looks old or bad or anything, but he it seems like you know, 16 years of touring, he, he you know, he looks like he's he's uh, he's uh, weathered. I, to, <laughs> or, I totally agree. And I, I, me, you know, me and Paul actually talked about this. Um, when we were sitting in Metallica's catering as Rob and Kirk were walking by, it was a very surreal experience for us. But one of the things that we actually talked about a lot was like, and we won't get into too much personal shit, but we were talking about the question on the, on the table was, what is it like for Rob to be in this band? Like the big question, you know? And I kind of felt like, I'm sure there's still a lot of sadness in it. And I'm sure it kind of, in a lot of ways is a hard gig, even though it's the biggest gig in the world. Obviously he's got to be well-paid he gets to immediately play to you know thousands and thousands of adoring fans, but think about it, dude. He'll never be Cliff. He'll never replace that. And so many people, that's their their era, you know. And then Jason has his set of fans too, and he goes to these meet and greets where people have memorabilia from Cliff's era and Jason's era that he wasn't really involved with. The touring, even though they've cut it back, is still grueling. It's still worldwide traveling. Like I'm sure that there is a lot that's weathering about the gig, even though it seems to oh, us yeah. to be like the, one of the cushiest gigs in the world. No, no, I think I think he I think he works very very hard, yeah. and you know he he definitely holds his own. But you're right, he came into a fully established, massive band that is still as massive. Yeah, and you know you have Cliff, who's Cliff. You don't even say anything more about him, and you have Jason, who if you kind of go, again go through the chronology, he presided over or was around. You know, Garage Days, Black Justice, Album, Black Album, yeah. Load, Reload, Garaging, yep. S and M, and then Rob comes in essentially after Saint Anger. So, not that that's you know <laughs> super great to be associated with, but he's he's basically de- death magnetic and um, and hard and hardwired. Yeah, that's a so, good point. Think about it. He inherit you know? he basically inherited Saint Anger, which right. was arguably the lowest point in the band's history. Right? I mean, that we thought they might break up. They made this super revealing documentary. The material's super fucking weird. And then he had to basically tour that. He didn't really get his first redemption sh- shot, at least as far as records go, until Death Magnetic, which, by the way, they hit it out of the park with that. Oh, yeah. But and then he's, it, he's songwriting credits, exactly. and he's there in the, exactly. in the videos. You know, One of the coolest things Wes told us about Rob <clears throat> is that he's always the first one at the venue, and he's always the first one in the tuning room. He's always practicing, trying to make everything better, trying to come up with a doodle that's going to be fun and a, a deep homage to whatever city they're in. I love that stuff about him. Yeah, he. I think that it, it's just it's just hard though because even it, for us who have been following uh, folks who have been following the band for so long, you know, you kind of mentioned it on your recap from yesterday. But you know, when you're when you're on the rail and you see the different band members coming, you know, James is like you know God is in front of you mm-hmm. type of everyone is just going crazy. Kirk, you know, people are pretty happy. He, he's just such a chill vibe. Everyone's just like, yeah, it's so cool. He's right there. Yep. You know, and then Rob is there, and people are like, hey, Rob, you know, cool. It's it's almost. You know, for me, the kind of obsession fanboy in me 
I, I haven't translated that to you know to Rob. Like it, it's no, it's awesome. I agree. But if I saw him, I would be pretty happy. If I saw you know James, I probably couldn't speak. You know. I mean, I agree, and I I think I can I. And this, I mean, we're doing like a super deep dive and like shit we yeah, don't really yeah. know that much yeah. about. But I feel like I can see it in his face. The 16 years of I'm the guy that they want to talk to the least. Not right. that, not that he. I mean, people love Rob. Like, in fact, I've I've kind of been hinting at it and talking about it in the last few months. But like, I used to be a Jason cat all the way. Like, Jason can come back tomorrow, and mm-hmm. I've, I've really kind of segued into like Rob's my dude. Right. I just don't think Jason would be right for the band anymore, and that's such a weird place to arrive at. But even with that, if you're talking, if you're talking Lars and James, and then Kirk, Rob's always going to be kind of the the low man on the totem pole. I mean, just think about this. They, you know, Jason left the band. You know, he fucking quit the band. Yep. You know, he left the band uh, at, at, when they were in their thirties, right? Their late thirties. Yeah. Talking 16 years ago, you know, or maybe early 40s. And yeah, I mean, you know, there's no way that he could come back into this matured kind of 50 somethings, man. It's just Rob is the right guy for that. Yeah. Yeah. And his, you know, I've talked about this before too, but his attitude is a little more congenial, a little more glue like, where I think Jason was always moving forward and pushing forward, but Jason was also really intense. Yeah. I just think the chances of Rob and James butting heads uh, ideologically or philosophically or musically are pretty low. No, I think you're right. I think one thing, though, and we'll get into it in the set list, but one thing is we've talked about the BGVs, and it feels like it's even less now than before, both in terms of songs Rob actually sings on and then, you know, the mix itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I used to, um, in college, I had a huge digital live bootleg collection like a massive one i don't even know where those songs are now but i you know i had like a server and all kinds of stuff it was, was like it, was really it all crazy. was it all metallica or was it lots of it was all stuff? metallica yeah, wow it was just, okay it was all metallica um I, how, I, how did you acquire how'd you acquire them so it was it was like it was pre-napster and it was I, it was just through you know downloading and file sharing and and, gotcha. and ripping and you yep. know i got cd you know CDs and cassette tapes and all this stuff. So I kind of amassed that. And then I had this website that I, I got this, you know, back in the late 90s, Metallica Inc. And mm-hmm. then I got a, lawyer, a letter from their law firm, you know, uh, you know, a year later saying, okay, yeah, that's our trademark. I didn't know anything about that. And that's why you got into practicing law. <laughs> right, right. Because you like, were worried. That, I'll show them. <laughs> you were worried Q Prime was going to sue you. You're like, shit, I need to start reading some law books. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Wow. So they sent you like a, a cease and desist or something and you had to take it down? Yeah, it was it was not um you know again, not Metallica shit gets bad rap. It's it wasn't about the bootleg. It was about the just the use of the name. Gotcha. You know, the Metallica Inc. Gotcha. The trademark. I think they have evolved even from beyond that. But uh but anyway, yeah, so so you know, I had such a such a collection of primarily, you know, uh you know, the Jason era stuff. Mm-hmm. And you just that background vocal with the creeping death and the way all the stuff lots of stuff you know, James does now with the, Hey, 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 you know, that, that was, you know, that was Jason. He never had to do it then. Yeah. It's interesting. Right. That's, it's definitely like one of the maybe top two or three parts of Jason's legacy is the, is right. the, not only like the live performance and the energy being fan friendly, all that crap, but like his singing big time, big legacy for him. Right. So it's funny that you mentioned, you don't know where all that stuff is now. So it's just gone, just gone. <laughs> no, I, I, 
I probably have an iPod of it somewhere okay. that I have to find the right connector for it. It's probably somewhere, but you know, I think most of it's superseded, right? I think most of it is, you know, you might've seen that streaming, you know, um, live Metallica streaming thing now. Yeah. Uh, so, so every, every show, nearly every show or lots of shows are available, you know, just streaming or online from Metallica. So I, I think it's, and, and they're, they're probably better quality too. So. One day after the inevitable singularity, when we sort of reset and it's back to like pyramids and people think the Earth's flat and shit, <laughs> right, they're going right. to find that iPod like under like a hundred thousand feet, you know, below sea level, and then that's how they'll teach everyone English and teach everyone language is through fight fire with fire and you know Jason doing hero of the day. Yeah, that's I, probably I, true, right? It's probably going to happen. I, I think so. Well, that or you know, just old CDs. Right? I, I made the mistake when everything went digital uh, about ten, fifteen years ago, of throwing away like my massive did CD jacket. Yep, I did too. I'm so upset, and I had one of those uh, gold plated. I don't even know how, what it. It was a gold plated Master of Puppets CD. Yeah. Have you heard of that? Mm, I, I know what you're talking. They, they would do like these special weird like reissues yeah. and shit. Like, yeah, yeah. Where they'd make them cool. Basically, just ways to get you to buy them again, which I right, did. Right. Happy to. Right. But I did the same thing, man. When I was like, when digital happened, and I got my first iPod or whatever. I was like, this is over. And now, right. you, you know what I'm doing, dude? I'm buying cassettes. I'm buying vinyl. I'm buying Blu-ray. Like I'm buying a lot of physical media now, because it's just coming back. Around. I think we spent 15, 20 years not owning anything. And guys like right. me and you who remember what it was like to were like, what the fuck? You know? Right, exactly. Yeah, it was – it's crazy. So uh, how many shows has this been for you? What was Raleigh for you? This was 10. Okay, you've seen more than me. Cool. Out of all of yours, was that New Year's one maybe the, the coolest one? What would you? How would you rank maybe the top two or three? So I think New Year's was cool. I went with my sister. She's four years younger than me. And so we had a great time. We were on the rail, you know, just kids. I don't even know how we convinced my parents to, to send us over there. It just makes no sense now. I would never <laughs> – I probably wouldn't let my kids do something like that. Or maybe I would. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, that that was pretty special. Just Different time. Sort of. Yeah, it was, it was sort of special on account of that. It was also – you know, I saw I, – I think Summer Sanitarium was – special but you know the the festival vibe the the outdoor arena it, when it's hot it, it's 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 so much fun but it's so different did you see the did you see the, the first one or the second one which i saw both oh you did okay cool if uh, uh, that's interesting so the, the you've got the first wave which was kid rock corn system of a down and power man and then you've got the second wave, which was what limp biscuit uh it was uh de- it was mudvane limp biscuit uh um, lincoln park yeah, Lincoln Park, and so I, I kind of actually got into Mudvayne. Um, I did too, man. I loved that song. That. Dig. Yeah, they, whatever they were, record that was. Yeah, I actually ended up liking most of their stuff. I wish they actually liked their stuff a lot more than Hell Yeah and uh, some of the other stuff that uh, that those guys are doing. When I listen to Slipknot now, I'm like, oh, this is basically Mudvayne. Is that yeah. a fair comparison? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure we're gonna, you're going to get letters, um, but I, I, I agree with you. It, 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 it does seem like that because it's got, you know, Corey's got that mo- mo- you know, melodic sort of sense, um, and he it's not look, always right. crazy. And then there's a lot of barking too. Yeah, he kind of goes in between those. Two. I don't know who predates who. I don't have a stake in either band, so I hope I didn't bum anyone out. I just know that I got really into that Mudvayne record with the song "Dig" on it. I don't even know enough to know what that fucking record's called, and. Um, <laughs> And then I just LD forty, I think. Or something. Okay, well, horrible title, Jesus. People, people don't know for some reason that you got to title stuff that's easy to remember. Don't right. Don't name it some cool deep 
reference to some catalog that you had to the anarchist cookbook page where you learned to make a pipe bomb. We called it page 47. Why? (laughs) That's the book. That's the page 47 of Madeline Alingle's fucking wrinkle in time where the, where the wizard, I'm like, what? Call it something you can fucking remember, dude. You're competing with literally everyone in the world who's making a record. Right, right. So if you had to choose one summer sanitarium lineup, which show is better? Um, I think that the one with Mudvayne and Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park too. I was never huge into them, but they they put on a really, especially at the time, they put on a really good show. And you know, Chester's got a great voice, and uh, I, I, I'd, I'd say I'd say that one. I've always felt the same. I never really got into them, but I always thought they were cool. It just it never really hit me to where like I need to be a fan of this band. I need to figure out what they're about. But anytime I saw it peripherally or on MTV or whatever, I was always like, "That ah, pretty good, pretty cool." Right. You know, it's it's good. I, you know, I've been to the festivals, I've been to the special shows, you know, I went to um the the Atlanta show on the first leg of this tour. Right. Uh with my brother-in-law and that was that was a lot of fun. Um, so it, I think it, it's hard for me to pick. It's just different experiences. I'm, I was, I've been on the rail for most of the shows, okay. um, but not all of them, and so that's a different experience, you know, entirely as well. I, I don't keep up with the city-specific artwork at all, but the only one I remember because I thought it was so horrible was the Atlanta Waffle House one. <laughs> yeah. I just thought you poor bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I also don't keep up with that. I, I, I got. Yeah, I, I, I actually did the Unforgiven experience for the Charlotte show, okay. um, and so I don't remember which poster I got. But So did yeah. you have rail for that? Yeah, I did. Awesome. How did you get the rail back in the day? What was that like? Because <laughs> now you basically so, pay a little VIP stuff and you have easier access. Like, What were you doing in 2000 or 99 to get the rail? Uh, so 99, 2000, and 2003. So, so two summer sanitariums and the 99 show. Just get there 10 hours early. Okay. I mean, just that there's no, there's no other way around it. I mean, December in Detroit was not fun, uh, but we we just got there really early because we were going to go. That was the only thing we were going for, and we were there just super early. Um, and you know, it was a, at the it wasn't in the round, so it was, um, yeah. So I guess I'm not sure actually if there's more rail or less rail in the round. Hard but to tell. Like le- yeah, yeah, hard to tell. Well. On one hand, you have four. You have basically have four front rows, right? But on the other hand, it's not that swathy spread. You know what's right. crazy about you saying ten hours? I did the same thing for Pearl Jam. Like we just got there early and kind of camped out. But I did that for a few Dave Matthews shows too. But what they were telling me at the Nashville show, because a, a friend of mine had the Unforgiven experience, and we were asking some of the other kind of diehards that do this all the time, and they were saying to get there even if you have Unforgiven, they were saying to get there at eight or nine a.m. and wait. Like hmm. shit. I, I think it depends on the show. So in Charlotte, I had Unforgiven. I got there. I think doors open six uh, six p.m. But Unforgiven gets in at five fifty, and Whiplash is a little bit earlier. I, I think I got in line by four, and I was I was reason I, I was like sort of one of the last few to get to the rail with okay. the Unforgiven package, but. In Raleigh, you know, just because I didn't, I, I think I tried. I wasn't able to get like multiple packages the same day. I, I don't know how people did that, but um, I, I wasn't able to get it. So I ended up getting just regular GA. And this time I showed up at the parking lot open at 3 p.m. So I showed up at 3, waited in line in the regular GA. I was like fourth or fifth in, in line. There weren't that many people in the regular GA. 
because I think that the diehards who would normally wait eight, 10 hours, they're all getting packages. Mm -hmm. So I was there and I was, I, I just, I was sort of one of the last few. Um, and, and even then there was, there was just sort of a smallish space for me sort of on the rail. Um, so depending on the time it was, yeah, it was just crazy to me that I was able to get in that close just, just without a package. So, so did you do the Raleigh show with anybody or did you rock it solo? Uh, I, so one of my high school friends, uh, was there, I actually stayed with him. So we ended up going, uh, we ended up hanging out after, but he, uh, he had seats and I, <laughs> I love Metallica too much to have seats. I just, right. I just can't do it. Yeah. I can't you know, contain myself in a seat. <laughs> I had seats in Birmingham, but when I, when it looked like I might be able to get the rail, I told, I was basically like told all my friends to fuck off. <laughs> right. Like I can see you dudes anytime. I, I don't know when I'm going to be able to do this with Metallica again. You know, I, I almost did what, yeah, I've been hearing you guys talk about how much the sound, and it's to totally true, how much the sound is better outside of the rail, because if sound is so washed out, I could, we could barely hear Kirk. And yeah. I, I thought about, you know, walking up, because I was sort of in that same spot right near that, that, that alleyway on the corner, so yep. there was like two people behind me. So they, I could, I, I could leave and come back and, yeah. and still have my spot. So I thought about going up to here, but I, I just had too much FOMO. That's I like, couldn't do it. No, no, I'm with you. Well, yeah, you got to basically decide like what's more important to me. And I think for many of us being close to the dudes is more important. That little area you're talking about is like, I don't know if people are, are like learning from these, <laughs> these metal tales episodes, but that is like the spot to be. If you're going to try to be over there, it's like the best kept secret of the, of the rail. Right. It's basically like right. where the corner of the stage butts up against the first row of seats. Is right. They, they have to leave like a area for people to walk through for security, and there's just not that much room, so you're only going to have a few people behind you. Right. It's real but, not cramped but, and real, real you know, easy to move around in. And yeah, I mean, sonically though, it it was um, yeah, it, yeah, it was not good. It was it wasn't even just it was it was it was not great because. Kirk, some songs you could hear him, other songs you, you couldn't. Rob, you could really only hear him when he came by, you know, which is interesting because why, why do they need, you know, monitors when they have in-ears? I, I don't know how that works, but he definitely was louder when he was near us. Right. Um, so, you know, I play guitar, so I, I was able to sort of kind of see what Kirk was doing and kind of infer with the light, you know, audio in the background of his of his guitar, but... Yeah, it, it's not it's not great. It's just for the experience of seeing them. Yeah, so I was the same way. Like I could sing along if James was in front of me, and I could see his mouth. It's right, like just right. kind of putting it all together with like you know context clues. But the thing with the in ears is like sometimes you can pull like I do this a lot with my in ears. I'll pull one of them out just a little bit, so mm -hmm. I'm still getting the info from the in ear monitor, but I'm getting like just the air of the room. I can hear the crowd, and he may just like. I don't know. He may like having feeling that air pushing on him when he's around there. Who knows? I'd love to Could ask be. him one day. So let's get into the show. So was this sure. your second time to see Brewer? Yep. From Charlotte? So from Charlotte to Raleigh, how many shows was that? Maybe 15, 10? Something like that, yeah. Did you see – was it kind of the same? Did you think it was an improvement or – I thought it was an improvement. He's he's such a cool guy. I mean, he was walking, you know, you know, um, I guess between the rail and the stage, between before the show, he was kind of hanging out near where I was, and you know, he said hi to me, and he was just he, he got a good you get a good vibe from that guy, and he, um, I thought that he did better here than in Charlotte because, you know, people are expecting when they hear Jim Brewer to have 
you know, more comedy. I felt like in Charlotte and look, everyone has different nights and he probably has different. He said the same sort of he had the same sort of um, like you map, know, roadmap, right roadmap. But he definitely did a lot more riffing, you know, on like, yeah, he, it was he, it was him that said very metal, you know, of you not to have socks or whatever. And, he, you know, he was um, he was actually funny. I yeah, he was funny. He, you know, he did his whole like Lars spot on impression. Um, I think he actually does a better James, but he, you know, I think he can, but he doesn't do it on stage. He just does the yeah, you know, yeah, he does whole, the yes, right? Did but, he do uh, trivia? He didn't do the trivia at any of the shows I was at. I think he stopped doing yeah. that, or he he said, you know, we're gonna have a fun time. We're gonna have people on the stage. We're gonna do some games, but he never, he actually didn't do that. Now, did my friend Sarah, who's in the Saravan, sent me some pictures of her on the stage. Were you have, hovering around when she was doing that? Did you see them go up there? I didn't. Uh, I noticed people go on the stage, but I didn't recognize that it was Sarah. Right. I've been. Uh, yeah, she's she's like a legend now because she's right. on your show. Right. <laughs> but but uh, I did not know. So uh, how did that happen? I she's they're all tight with uh, Rob's guitar tech. Uh-huh. Whose name is Zach? I I don't know him. I met him briefly in Nashville, and uh, he's a he's been the te- he's been him and Big Mick are the longest running crew members. He was Cliff Burton's bass tech, so obviously he has some carte blanche with the camp. And I think that because he's real close with the Saravan, it was kind of like a little treat for them. He was able to let them come up and hold some of the guitars and. Yeah, I saw a group of people. In addition to that, uh, like four or five of them go and and actually wear uh rob's you know guitars that was them uh, yep that was them. okay that was them okay. yeah pretty cool what was the vibe i was curious too when they were doing that because i was surprised to see that it's while people were like in coming in and come getting in ga were people around you like who the fuck are those why are they yeah. why do they get to <laughs> totally they're like <laughs> they who are they and, and you know i was just like whatever they, they, either via either you know, I, actually, it probably wasn't hardwired because that they, there are too many of them. And I was like, you know, some VIP and, you know, maybe I thought maybe just corporate, like corporate sponsors or something. Yeah, it Who could knows? be. Yeah, I mean, I would have if I didn't know that those were friends of mine, I would have thought maybe like friends and like family of, you know, that might have been like Zach's nieces and nephews right. or his cousins or some shit. So, well, Aziz was there at the show as well. Oh, cool. So it was interesting because a gym uh did a backstage with he was Aziz was just hanging out in back nice and he did a backstage with him and he made his little joke kind of in his um what's the name of his parks uh character oh yeah what is that guy's name tom tom yeah in in sort of like a tom voice he was like he was like hey guys you know uh say hi to my kids you know uh uh, you know, a battery and sanitarium out there, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, he's he's a huge fan. On his Instagram page, you see him play like he, he plays guitar. So there's like a clip of him playing "Seek and Destroy." And yeah, stuff. So I think that's cool. He was he was at the Nashville show, but I didn't. I saw him a little bit, but then I thought he split or he went to some VIP area. But right, what was compared to Charlotte? What was the anticipatory vibe of the crowd? Was it different? Was it the same? Were you paying it? Do you do a lot of people watching in what kind of pre-show? I I I do. Um, I because it's. It's always nice to be in a room that where there are that many crazies like you, but also way more people who are casual fans. Like, yeah, you know, I, I like Pearl Jam a lot, but when I go see them, I'm nothing compared to the crazies. So I don't know their catalog like everyone else. So right. it, it was interesting to see that. And, you know, I think 
there's but you're also in the, but you but you're in the crazy camp of Metallica. Am I correct? Yes. You sound you sound like a diehard crazy person to me. Like me. Yeah. I'm a little crazy. Yeah. I'm one I, of the Pearl I, Jam crazies too. But the Pearl Jam crazy people are a little less fun to be around. <laughs> Don't you tell know, the brats. Well, we, even they were talking. Well, I mean, they would never speak ill of the Pearl Jam fandom. That's their fan base. But he was just saying that like the rail sitch is like really you know intense and that like when Eddie's throwing tambourines or whatever that they'll like take them from kids and shit. My my vibes on the rails at Metallica were like pretty sweet, pretty friendly. So, well, like, well, I would say that's the twenty. That's the sort of current vibe. Um, I, I I think that everyone's just going gotten older, and there's definitely a generational, you know, huge generational, um, I guess, uh, diversity that goes to these concerts. Yeah, but so you're saying back time, in the day on the rail during yeah. Garage Inc. era, it was pretty pretty rough, huh? I mean, b- back in the day, it was it was like it was like you would think. A rail position is your forearms get crazy. You have to hold on to the rail the entire time. You can't, you know, right. it, it, it's, um, you know, people are friendly, but it was, everyone was younger, right? I was in my teens and twenties yeah. and, and most people around me were, whereas now it's a, it's a, you know, pretty, you know, there, there are people with, there's someone with a seven year old, right? There's uh, older people. Yeah. People are not moshing, you know, in, in the rail area, there was sort of a mosh pit in the back, which I always find that interesting, but but also it's not a huge staple of a Metallica concert. No, the old so, the old man in me is like, if someone's like moshing near me, there's an old man in me that wants to be like, "Hey, calm down over there. Hey, right. you know, like cut it out. I can't hear, I can't see or hear when you're doing that." Well, Jim makes fun of that, right? I, I don't know if he did that bit for Nashville. He's like, he's like, if you're over forty years old, you know, you want a mosh pit, and he does this whole bit where he's like, he's like, all right, just go to the back and just. Walk fast in in a circle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how about that for a circle pit? This is like old people with walkers walking a little faster than they otherwise might. Right. Uh, Dude, I I don't know if I've told this story on the uh, podcast before, but I saw Perfect Circle in 2003 on the 13th Step Tour, and it was all GA. I did the thing that you do when you're young. I ran in, and I got maybe three people deep from the front row. And when they opened... That those three rows disappeared and everyone got yeah. crammed up to the rail, Smash. and it w- it was exhilarating, but it also felt really fucking dangerous. Yeah, you got that surge right, and then when you yes. see the, the artist in front of you, exactly. you get that even it's it's, it's it's like being the ocean. It's like a wave of humans, dude. And when I saw Oasis in two thousand, I, I was wearing Birkenstocks. If it tells you anything about me, I was wearing Birkenstocks, <laughs> listening to a lot of Dave Matthews. But I saw Oasis and the the ocean of the front five pit the the pit. Picked me up and moved me, and I lost my fucking shoes, dude. Shoes gone, forever. <laughs> and I, I had to like ride the Get Marta cut by glass. I had to ride the fucking Marta, which is the Atlanta Transit horrifying mass transit with no shoes. Oh, that's a good look. <laughs> so uh, let's get into the show a little bit. So sure, Jim splits. Are you like so? You're there. You're kind of rocking up there near the rail by yourself are you making any new friends are you are you friendly up there or are you just focused on the task at hand yeah no i it, it's you, you kind of have to be i i am sort of that personality anyway but you kind of have to be you know the people around you because you know if you need to leave they hold your spot or exactly. you know we, you know who is around you so that if there's some random imposter that comes by you're like nope you were not here right. you don't get to just inch in right so yeah no there's some cool folks from uh from different places you know a couple of folks from raleigh raleigh and a couple of folks from around so you kind of talk to them um, there were a couple of people who are a little bit annoying who who are sort of 
probably had a couple too many to drink and they were they were kind of pushing and stuff in the back and trying to mosh mm. but you know that sort of everyone else stamped them out but uh, you know i'm it's it's fun everyone's so excited everyone's talking you know how long how many shows you've been to you know what do you think they're gonna do here and you got the you got the folks of course who are like, don't tell me don't tell me you know which i it you know I, i'm just I'm, again I'm, I'm too too far deep into metallica to not follow like every set list yeah and, all this yep. stuff, but part of me wishes I would have, you know, wishes, you know, I, 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 you know, it was it was brand new, and you know, well, the, the set list would surprise. Me. Yeah, well, there's there's no doubt in my mind that you would have that you and I both and all of us would have a better time if we didn't know. But right. it's just irresistible. I mean, I follow it on the forums and stuff, and I have met a few people who have intentionally stayed away from all that just so they could have that element of surprise. Right. But at least we got the the rotating slots. Exactly. That's that's, so that's kind of what we then, yeah, that's what we look yeah. forward to. Exactly. So even though we kind of know that out of the gate we got hardwired Atlas and Seek. What are your feelings about that? Like, you know, when Lars cracks that snare after the hardwired tape. Well, first of all, before they come out, so are you close enough at this point where you can kind of see the boys getting their positions and stuff? So on that side, uh you can only you see Rob who comes by. Okay. And then you can't really see, you know, Kirk, uh, you know, Kirk, Lars and James kind of hover either on their on, on sort of the other side. So you can kind of see them and and, you know, the crowd's going crazy when right. they kind of just 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 get settled. And it, 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 you mentioned on one of the shows that how you get nervous about how how close they cut it to the time. Oh, yeah. And I, I just I just kept thinking about that. You know, you hear you hear ecstasy, which is, you know, just oh, emotional and amazing and, you know, phenomenal. And then you hear the the slow fade in to hardwired. And then you're like, where are they? Get into yeah. place, James. And he like runs up the stairs just in time. Yeah, it's like they barely make it. I mean, They've obviously done it a lot. They did it all in Europe, and I remember seeing them in the stadium tour. I don't know where you were at when you saw them in Atlanta, but they come up from these like inclined planes on the sides, and it looks like right. they just almost like magically appear. It's right. It's kind of amazing, but I I imagine as a performer, and I play in a band that we play almost the same set every night. Little things like that are probably what keep keep shit exciting. Like really trying to time that right, and sometimes you hit it, and sometimes you miss it. I saw him miss Unforgiven in Little Rock, but. It does seem like it does seem like when they barely make it, you're like, "Whoo, damn!" <laughs> yeah, but you're right that, that that the first crack of the snare, and you're into, and then it's like, "Okay, here here it is. Here we're 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 locked and loaded, and we're ready for the ride." And it was, it's just, it's such a good one-two punch. Yeah. Um, I, I, you've said that you don't think they're going to come back. I think Hardwired is a short and sweet song that that's kind of like a fuel that would. Uh, I think it's going to survive a oh, little that's bit. That's true. But but. but uh, you know, but but Atlas is such a good song. But yeah, yeah. you're right. Some of those songs are just not going to survive. So to hear that one-two punch is uh, is awesome. Yeah, it feels like what it must have felt like to see them do Sand open with Sandman. You know, like oh my god, it's it just feels like that. Because I think you're right. If they do keep Hardwired, it's not going to be an opener. Right. It'll be kind of a short and sweet mid set or later set thing. Kind of a nice callback. So. What was the vibe like in Raleigh with the new material? I, I've been really surprised pleasantly to see so many people singing all the words to those two songs. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the people around on the floor, there's a lot of sing-along. I, I, I kind of looked around at the, in, in, uh, you know, in the, when they played new material, and I didn't get that sense. I thought people were kind of moving, but, you know, it could be just, 
people consume music differently. You know, some people just don't ever sing, uh, yeah. you know. And so I, I couldn't tell if it was that. But it, it's, you know, Hardware and Atlas have the benefit of being the, the set openers, right? Yeah. So people are waiting so long. There's no music. It's just Jim. And so people are super excited. And they're kind of primed, so, so it's yeah, they're primed to like it. That's right. Because you get to see the boys. Right. Like, I don't care what they're singing. It's so weird to see them. Right, right. I, I kind of feel like the boys are looking pretty good. What's your vibe on that? Like, I, I think James is kind of doing this kind of almost loadish, reloadish look. Yeah, he looks he looks great. He's letting his hair kind of, uh, you know, grow out. And and part of it is because we just we see him. You know, if I if you show me any photo of James, I can come within a year of like <laughs> yeah. his age. It's it's so it's so stupid. I know just by his you know age and his hair and weight and all this stuff. And but I don't think your average fan. Well, I know your average fan can't do that or right. doesn't care. And so, it, you know, the the thing that Jim Brewer says in the beginning, saying, you know, don't be shocked, they look old. You know, they, you know, stepping back, they do. But he can still rock it like he's thirty. You know. Yeah, I mean, some of my bigger takeaways, <clears throat> being both close and kind of away, is like just his commanding presence, you know, like we've all seen it. We, I saw it 17 years ago when I saw the summer sanitarium stuff, but he's still got that kind of powerful rock star swath that like, right. Kind of undeniable when he's right in front of you, you're like, yep, that's a rock star. And you see him with that right hand and how powerful. And he, you know, he's, he's not just like lightly, you know, that strum back and forth and, and not just the down pick, but just the alternate picking. He is, like you know, the whole guitar is visibly moving. It's just it, he has so much power. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 a thing to behold. So then you get Seek, and so if you're saying that maybe the crowd is a little kind of so-so on the on the new tunes, I bet they all did go ape shit on Seek and Destroy. Yeah, yeah, and I wouldn't say they were so-so. It was just you know they're not singing along to right. to, to all of the new stuff. But yeah, no, they didn't. He did his whole magic trick, as you call it, and. Yep. You know, Kirk played that red Ouija on cool. that, yeah. which I thought was was just so cool to see. Yeah, glad you got to see that. Really cool guitar. Yeah, the um, the, you know, and then the the cubes, they they were. It's it's sort of really hard to see you know anything on those when you're yeah. when you're down in the rail as you've mentioned. But the I felt like on that song they came down lower than in any other song. It was like. I felt like I could touch them. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's scary when you're up that close to them because they move so fast and they come all the way down there. You're like, holy shit. Right. You don't want to be like the headline the next day. They're like, Cube Malfunction squashes hundreds of Metallica fans. Right. Right. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. What kind of band can play a song from their 2016 album, go directly into a song from 1983 and have 22,000 people just going crazy. I, I just, there's so few bands like that. Yeah. I mean, they've, yeah, they've really been U2 able to maintain maybe, you know, it. Yeah. I I, they're up there with the U2s. I mean, yeah, we're talking, at this point, we're talking in the same league with U2, Rolling Stones. Uh, that's probably close to it, actually. They're kind of almost peerless. Yeah. I, I would say Rolling, they've surpassed Rolling Stone, even in terms of longevity and uh, relevance true i mean the last rolling stones record that i thought was really great like relevant like they made a new record that's good i don't know if you follow the stones but they made that record in the 90s called voodoo lounge that was killer it had that song love is strong yeah i never got into that well yeah i mean it'd be equivalent to like saying that 
Metallica's last relevant record was like Black Album. Right, right, right. Which obviously isn't the case. I thought Death Magnetic was is an amazing record. It's such a shame they don't play much from that record. Yeah. I don't know why. I, I, I feel like they could you know, I guess they, they threw uh they throw Day That Never Comes in every now and then. Yeah, and they did Cyanide early on and you know, I guess those songs are long and tough. I can see why yeah. it'd be hard to fit them in. So the fourth slot, which we got this in I believe Birmingham where they kinda switch it up on you and you they give you creep instead of one of the kind of deeper cuts. How was that tune? <sighs> it's it's just such an epic such an epic song and you know, as much as as they're a family guys and nice and everyone's a friendly, you know, and Metallica family and everything, you know, <laughs> to see to see the security guards expressions during the die chant, it's like you're at a death metal show. I mean, literally we're yeah. die. It's like, you know, die, die. And, you know, it, it, it's it's a surreal experience to see that. And, and that's the type of thing where, you know, it's easy to follow along, even if you don't know what it is. So the entire crowd is doing it. It's. It's unbelievable. It's pretty funny that you mentioned that because being on the rail, like both times there was a security guy, literally, right? I could have reached out and, and done the shh thing with my finger, like in his lips, like shh. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm singing along to the whole show and I thought, this guy's got to be like sneaking looks at me and thinking, what a, right. what a fucking lunatic. <laughs> What's wrong with that? But everyone's doing that. Well, and you got to think too, some of those dudes got to be fans, but they, yeah. but they're just trying to be pro too at the same time. They're like doing like they're like doing a little die under their breath with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're dying inside. Exactly, because they can't turn around and look at James is literally right above their right shoulder and they can't look at him. You know. Yeah, exactly. Because they, they know they know when the artist is there because you're yeah, Cause everyone's, everyone's freaks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the going into the Unforgiven. Now speaking of hitting your mark, did James hit his mark on that? Because they play the tape and then he comes up and. So I find um, that, so that intro is awesome. It's just such a has that epic kind of backdrop and that that almost like a bell kind of thing. Uh, he did hit it in terms of the timing. He, I've got to go back. It's hard to tell again from the you know sonically, but I've got to go back and listen to it. But I felt like he missed a note, yeah. um, which is, I mean, not a big deal at all. But it's so rare for James. Yeah, I mean, he just he might miss timing or something like that, but. I feel like he does not miss notes. Right. I don't know about you, but it was just it was interesting to hear that. And the guy the guy next to me had also play, he also plays guitar and we both looked at each other like, did he miss a note? Interesting. I'll go listen. What I noticed <clears throat> I can't remember which show it was, but it might have been the one where he was kind of late, so he was got a little rattled maybe. You know, it's like that rolly down do goo dagga goo dagga goo dagga doogie. And I just noticed it was a little sloppy Joe for him. I don't think he when I saw it I don't think he missed a note, but it was kinda like clammy, you know. Right. I mean, just think of just think of the, the minor things that derail us, if, you know, you in a performance or me and, you know, whatever we do normally. I, I could see how if he missed timing on that, he, he just, he, it's just it's in his mind, you know. Yeah, that's that's why there's part of me from that performance level. It's always like, dude, don't wait till the last minute, man. Just <laughs> it's no there's no shame in kind of being ready and standing near it. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, how did Kirk how did Kirk sound on the solo? Oh, you said it's kind of washed out when you're up close, but. It's washed out. That one, I felt like it was better. He was closer to me, although I don't think the the monitors changed. But he was closer to me, so I was watching him play. Right, um, and such a good solo. Yeah. So yeah, he 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 sounded great. Everyone seemed to be in good spirits, smiling and interacting with each other. Yeah, that 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 song, that album is just such a seminal piece of work for them. Yeah. 
it's it's so powerful it's so good it's got all the elements of their entire career basically so yeah people people are going crazy yeah you can really see the power of the black album at these shows it's just absolutely undeniable yeah it's, and it's uh, fun to see people get excited about it too usually any black album song i'm kind of looking around at the arena and you can just see you can just see its reach in my opinion right uh now that we're dead, so I'm curious in general how you feel about Hardwired. So when they're playing all these Hardwired tunes, are you generally pretty stoked about that? Love it. Yeah, I, I, I just, I absolutely love it. I love Death Magnetic, but I can't listen to it in headphones because of the clipping. Yeah. It's just, it's, I can't use headphones and listen to it. It's, it, and, and now it's in my head. Like, that's all I think, that's all I can hear. So I, I sometimes I listen to the Guitar Hero version, which is different. It's a different, um, it's, it, there's some different clips of it. I mean, it's just, um, it's not mixed you know the right way and so i I listen to it like in a car or something where i have speakers but it's you know hardware is perfect it's got i mean i really there's no song on there for me that's a track skipper and and the production is like a it's almost like a bob rock production. totally i agree so what do you think about the uh, cubes you get to see it in charlotte The, the the arena cube sitch seems to be quite a bit better than the stadium yeah it's shorter it's nicer and and I think I just I'm so used to it now that it doesn't even bother me. You know that that's great. They seem like they're having fun. I, I feel <laughs> Kirk is not. It doesn't seem like he's on time, <laughs> yeah. especially in the beginning. It takes him a minute. Um, I mean, look, it it would. I, there's no way I could even come close. But um, yeah, it's 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 cool. I wish um, I wish James would like play something different or or new. But that's only because. I've heard that that same drum beat, you know, several times. Right, he kind of he kind of ups the drama and he starts doing like a a big roll on the snare and right, da 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 da, da. yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, now this is kind of one of the most exciting parts of the set list for me is you got confusion after this. Well, actually, right before I wanted to ask you, so in, in before Dead, yeah, you know how he he says, "Are you alive?" You know, yeah, you know, show me how this. He did uh, what I thought was I hadn't heard him do before. He said, "All right, guys, I'm going to ask a stupid question." And then he says, are you alive? Which I I don't know if I I, I kind of took that as, man, he's been saying that for years <laughs> yeah. and years. And maybe it's finally like, all right, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to ask this. It was just, I found it interesting that he said that out loud. Yeah, that it, there that does seem like to be like a sense of fatigue about it. Like, well, here we go again. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it's. The crowd loves it. Like I can see why he builds it in every year to whatever tour they're doing. But right, yeah, the the whole "Now That We're Dead" speech I find pretty odd. It's like the oddest thing for me because it's I don't know what he's really saying. It's not really landing for me. Like the whole "How does it feel to be alive?" We're here in this moment. I love all that shit. And you want you heavy? The, we uh... give you heavy. Well, he's like, he's like, well, to be alive, first you have to die first or something. Die. It's like, well. If you want to live, he says, if you want to live forever, first you must die. Okay, well, maybe right. maybe his whole point is like the afterlife, like you're you're living forever in the afterlife, and so you have to die in this initial phase of I don't know, who knows? It's just pretty weird because it's he, weird. It's he weird. used to say in front of bells. I don't know where he says it now. He says it somewhere. Maybe it's before seek, but he does the whole like we don't care where you come from, what you believe yep. about God, yep. what's between your legs. Mm-hmm. It, tonight's not really about any of that, which I love that idea. I love it so much. Like bringing it all in, it's about the music, and that's like the only thing where it does seem kind of like because I know he's a religious cat and he's 
where right. he believes in sort of the Judeo-Christian idea of the afterlife. It's just weird to say it before. It seems kind of forced. The song is called Now That We're Dead. Right. And he's like, first you must die. It's like, wait, I don't, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'll take it, though. Whatever he wants to say is actually A-OK with me. Uh, he's, he's, uh... Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. So going into going, going into confusion is that is that does that register as a treat for you? It's kind of registers that way for me. Like same as getting Dream No More. It's kind of the song they alternate together. You know. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you go to multiple concerts and and you know that they only change four or five songs, you know, you want to hear something, you know, selfishly that you haven't heard before. Right. I think they only played, that was their 10th time that they played confusion. It, and he, you know, he dedicates it to the, uh, to, to everyone who served it, you know, and, and it's, it was just, um, Oh, it that's was cool. So I didn't cool. think about that. Definitely like, definitely in the military family of Metallica songs. I mean, there, there's so much of that, so much from disposable, you know, to obviously one, to confusion, and then, you know, random stuff sprinkled throughout there. But those three in particular are so laced. I mean, you almost feel like he or somebody, his family has served, which to my knowledge, they haven't. Right. Um, it, 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 it's just, so, it's such a, such an important part of like sort of how he thinks and how he writes. It's, right. it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I agree. And did it, you know, for them not playing it much, did it sound good? Oh yeah, it sounded great. I I think they they nailed it. Um, they you know the, the the cubes were 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 in full force, and what what I could see of it had a lot of sort of um, war imagery. Not not like your not your one Johnny got his gun kind of thing, but more just random war imagery. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, it's it's probably hard for them. I mean, they how many times do you think they practice that? I mean, yeah. not not as many as the other. My my guess is when they are having like a more rare rotating slot like that, that they uh they do the tuning room, they rock it in the right. tuning room, right? All right, so moving on to bells, anything to say about bells? Epic. I don't particularly care for the Lars smacking Rob on the towel bit, you know, with the towel on his ass bit. Yeah, it, it's just kind of like a weird locker, locker room. Locker, shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like it's just strange. I I just find it odd. Um, but the, uh, but no bells, no, nothing, nothing to say except it was awesome. Did Kirk and Rob come run around in that little security circle outside the stage? Yeah. 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 They, 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 they kind of did their cat and mouse game or whatever they do. Yeah. Well, it's from the crab walk to the cat and mouse. I love all the animal imagery there. Right. Right. Exactly. And then does Kirk, I guess he's been doing this every show, but he does kind of a, kind of a guitar hero moment where they all leave the stage and he plays like a solo after bells. Uh, I don't recall it's not, that. It's not long. It's maybe a minute long. Okay. But it's kind of him just shredding, and the boys all leave. Because next they do the sanitarium, and they have a tape for that, but it's kind of just him on stage. So that tape, I I, I thought I really d- didn't focus on that before, because it's a different – I felt like it was longer than normal. It was different, and then – Again, from maybe it's because we couldn't hear from where we're standing. I did not hear. I did. I definitely did not hear James hit that open E w- and then with the harmonics to start Santarium. Yeah, it, I don't think just went. I don't, I don't think they're doing it. Yeah, I don't think they're doing it. Why? That's so strange. That's I know. such a. I agree. Important part of the song, I think. A lot of people around us when they played it uh, in Birmingham didn't know what it was. They didn't recognize. Like, it's interesting because the tape for Unforgiven has so many elements of Unforgiven that you're like, that's what it is. Right. And. 
yeah, this one was kind of like electronic sounding and pulsing and interesting, and then he doesn't do that harmonic thing. It's so weird. I don't know why. I don't understand it. You know, they, but it, it was awesome. That was a great song. They've got the, they got those, uh, I call them Halloween guys in the cubes, you know, trying to get out. It's yeah. such a cool visual. And then oh afterwards, my God, yeah. Did you see? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, you it's, mean where they're kind of like blurry and you can just see their face or their hands or their feet. Right. It, it almost, it, you know, I think they just do some sort of fake 3d effect where it seems like they're pushing out or almost about to get out of the screen. And yeah, exactly. It's like they're, they're, it's all white and, yeah, that that's some of the kind of the most effective cube graphics of the whole night, and it reminds me of uh, reminds me of like a tool video, like it's creepy <laughs> like that, you know? Right, that claymation kind of like weird, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, go ahead. But then afterwards, James said, you know, I know you guys. He called them the boxes, um, not the cubes. Okay. Uh, so so what he says, he goes. Uh, you know, I know you guys are worried about the guys in the boxes, but don't worry, we let them out every now and then. I thought he was talking about like the the luxury boxes in the <laughs> arena, and I was like, "You're like, actually, well, no, we're not, not worried, worried about, about those rich fucks. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. I know you guys are really but, worried about the VIP back at stage area, right, but we just right. want you to know we're giving them uh, seltzer water and all the boot free booze they want." <laughs> So I felt bad because it was like his dad joke kind of thing that usually is kind of it hits, but I think people were just confused. I, I think. He meant those, you know, the fictional characters in the cubes. Like, don't worry, we let him out every now and then. He did, yeah. I mean, if I mean, I'm no comedy expert, but if he wanted my comedic advice, it'd be, yeah. First of all, gotta call him cubes, and uh, it might even be helpful to motion towards them during the setup of the joke. <laughs> right. Just right. really make sure the setup's real clear so that that we let him out punchline really, really lands hard on Raleigh. <laughs> it, it, it's the, the the ability for James to be such an amazing rock god and then 10 seconds later just be what seems like just a normal guy i I just find that i find that amazing because i don't think i think it's part of the charm of this band because they're they make themselves so accessible and normal a lot of other bands you know they've got either you know not the makeup or the or the you know or they just have this aura about them that they're just too too cool for school you know yeah, I think I, I you know, I, you really notice James. I think I think they've always had that especially in the early right. days. I think I think they were in the most danger of being the ego band that you imagine in the 90s, but I think a lot of the post rehab work that James did really helped with all that of like right. he he realized that his ego was not helping him in a lot of those areas. And that part of like the work he had to do was like make himself as normal as possible. That's like a lot of what is social media energy is focused on when he would do like he kind of retreats from it but he was just showing pictures of like his hotel room or like the stupid nerdy shit he gets into when he's off the road and right you know him talking about liking bees and all that stuff you know? <laughs> right exactly and i love and his humor other, i think his humor is great yeah it's great he's just he's just like he's a he seems like a normal dude like you you could talk to him for a couple hours and not even mention music type of dude did you ever hear that story about Mike Rowe from the the Dirty Jobs guy when he met James Hetfield? No. So I guess that guy that guy lives in Marin County. Dude, you got to look this story up because it's so funny. Because Mike Rowe basically wrote an open letter to James apologizing to him because he met James Hetfield. I guess he had a dog and James came up and was like petting his dog, and he was like, "So what's your what's your name? What do you do?" And James was like, <laughs> uh, and then, "Yeah, he did that." And James goes, "Well, I'm in a local band." 
That's what he said That's to awesome. Micro. And Micro goes, oh, I like music. Like, what are you guys called? And he said Metallica. <laughs> and then Micro thought he was Lars. Oh, my God. He's like, oh, I, I was – some of my friend, one of my friends told me you live in the neighborhood. It's nice to meet you, Lars. He's like, mm, oh, definitely not, definitely not Lars. Right, right. All right, so moving on into Whiplash. Now, do you follow these set lists and know to like, okay, we're probably going to get Whiplash tonight in the thrash slot? So, uh, well, you missed the doodle. Oh, okay. So they, oh, shit. I, I do this every fucking time. Let's talk about the doodles. That's fine. They they played um, – I had to look this up because I didn't know. Uh, uh, there was a band called Dag, so they played a song, Lovely Jane, but then they played Corrosion's uh, Albatross. And, oh, I forgot they played a Corrosion song. Yeah, yeah. That's and then cool. James came on and sang a few lines and Lars came on. So it was <laughs> – it was like a mini, you know, like a one and a half minute cover of, you know, of the entire Metallica playing that song. That's a cool. pretty big treat, dude, because James and Lars do, usually don't come up for those doodles. It's really cool. Right. Did did Lars come up for the Sweet Home Alabama when James was singing? Nope. Okay. He was either peeing or getting a massage. He was in his little cubby area. Yeah, they it was they were all on, they were all on the stage and it was uh well they they came off and then and then James just came up and started singing and then Lars came up so I, I think they're I think you know James has done some stuff with corrosion so I think they've got a history there so is are COC are they from North Carolina or yeah apparently okay, I, cool. I didn't realize that until I think they're from Raleigh wow um, awesome or from North Carolina very cool man that would have been fun if Pepper Keenan had come up I guess he wasn't there they must be on the road or something. Yeah, I no, he definitely. I, I don't think he was there. Jim probably would have would have found him. Yeah, for sure. Um, but no, can you ask your your question? Um, I, no, I follow the set list enough to know that that's the that's going to be you know a thrash slot. Yeah. But I didn't know, you know, because they're actually not precise about that. Because even you know they didn't um, they didn't play spit, and I thought for sure they'd play spit because. They haven't played it in the last three nights. So they're not precise about that either. So I just gave up <laughs> yeah. trying to predict. Yeah. But well, Whiplash Whip, was Whiplash a is huge fun. treat. Out of all the songs they play in that slot, well, they play Hit the Lights. I was going to say between Motor Breath and Whiplash and maybe Jump on the Fire, Whiplash is one of the more exciting ones. And I did see on the set list they played the third verse, or they played the verse they normally skip, right? Yeah, they played, I think that, yeah, they played the whole thing. Nice. They, they played the whole thing. And, it, you know, that song... Uh, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I, I don't think I don't think you'd go wrong with any one of them, but but that song is so is so intense the whole time, and you know it's got they've got that that part like and you know and you're Metallica and it's uh it just it, it felt like you were you know back in the binge and purge you know era or whatever. It really amazes me that right out of the gate they had songs this good. They they don't have like the Pantera first embarrassing couple of records. You know what I mean? Right. Just it's kind of like Sabbath. Just out of the gate, they have songs that make complete sense playing in 2019 to an arena of 20,000 people. Right. This thing that's so right. fucking he, cool. Even like Tool, Tools. I I love Tool, and you know Undertow is is um they they had an EP before that. Yeah, Opiate. Um, op- yeah. Op- look, it's good, but it's not the Tool level that I think of in no. terms of the complexity and mastery. Whereas. You're absolutely right. I mean, they, they're, you know, whiplash, seek and destroy, hit the lights. I mean, ridiculous. I, I would rather hear opiate material than Undertow, but like Undertow, they're going to have to play Sober or Prison right. Sex. But right. other other than, like, I'm not a big Undertow guy. I like Swamp Song, 
But Opiate, I could listen to the song Opiate or Sweat. But for me, really, from Enema on is what the material I want to see live from them. Right. Including yeah, their I, newest shit. I, I loved – I saw them on the 10,000 Days Tour, and it was amazing. Yeah, they're awesome. Looking forward to uh, – you know, I guess they've got the, um, the album done and just mixed. And Yeah, they're saying they're, April. They're... No way. Yeah, because that's what they're saying. Because didn't Jay, uh, Maynard said it's like a long process? It's like six, seven months of mixing and all this stuff. Uh, it, it can be. Yeah, I don't know. It can well, be. Well, for them, for them, because they're so slow. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. Well, Danny Carey, who usually does, Maynard's kind of the big bullshitter. He's the big yeah, bullshitter. That's artist. true. It was Danny Carey who said at NAM, I think last week, that they're looking at April. Well, although, they're playing. Although he said, like, <laughs> he said they were looking at like 2014, 100 years ago, too. So yeah, I, I don't take a, it, it's hard to, hard to tell. Yeah. It's hard to know, but they're playing a festival here in, um, in, uh, Rockingham, uh, where it's like a huge, it's like a brand new venue and food fighters, a whole bunch of people. And so they're, they're one of the headliners on one of the nights. So I'm wondering if they at least play one new, so, you know, I know they've, they've debuted some of the new songs. Um, yeah, they have a new one called, one called, yeah, they have a new one called descending that they've been playing. Right. But I don't. I don't. I try not to even go look at that shit. I'll just wait for the record. Because who knows? Ah. It, it might be different than the way they're doing it live. And you, I, yeah, dude, I met yeah. some people uh, on the rail who were. We were talking about Lords of Summer, and they were like, "Dude, the first version of Lords of Summer is the only one." And I'm like, oh, "Oh no." I'm like, I like the record version. I'm a, I'm a okay with it. The first version. Do you remember they had the the new song and the other new song, which they were not good. Was it Vulturous? Think... Was that one of them? Yeah, Vulturous was one. I think like, maybe the other new song, and then there was a new. I didn't. I just thought they were half baked, and they just. I agree. They were not normal Metallica songs. When I, when I watch the making of Lords of Summer, I I see a progression of, to a song that I really like, but like the right. first version of it doesn't seem complete to me. Right. Right. Anyway, so I try to avoid that. All right. So moving on into the the reload slot now. Out of you got fuel because they do alternate those. Which would you rather see? Which do you? Which do you think is more powerful? Like, give me your thoughts on both. Uh, versus memory. Yeah, sure. Just that slot. Yeah. I, I I like. I probably want to hear memory uh, more than I do fuel because there's more of a sing along aspect yeah, to it's it. More interactive. Very faithful. And it's just such a that that first riff is is you know such a cool, such a cool kind of vibe, but. You know, again, you want everyone else around you to be super happy or, you know, whatever. Fuel is <laughs> just insane. I mean, I, I almost say, you know, for your casual fan, it is probably as recognizable and as accessible as Sandman. Yeah. Probably probably right behind Sandman in terms of at least if you apply those criteria. Yeah, I said that once on the show and, and kind of got eaten alive for it. I don't think I said it well, but... I've, I feel the same way. Like, Fuel, in terms of, like, pop credibility, like, MTV, the video, at the sa- at the time, like, everyone knows Fuel right. in the same way. Like, everyone might not know. Like, my wife probably doesn't know Master of Puppets, but she knows right. Fuel. That's that's my right. point, you know? Well, they, and it's the first pyro. So there's, there's definitely an element of that that's, like, you know, Lars does whole, like, eyebrow thing, you know, afterwards. But it's, it's, um... It's awesome. They, you know, James starts it by saying, you know, sorry, but we have announcement. Give me fuel, give me fire. Which yeah. he's, he's done a version of that, a longer version of that for a while. Yeah. You know, yeah. like cutting stunts. He's like, sorry. Hey, 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 you know, we're here to kick your ass. Right. He didn't do any of that, but it was, 
it's funny. It's almost like he's been doing. They've been doing this this tour cycle for what a year and a half now, mm-hmm. two almost two years. Yeah. Well, well, they kind of started it in late 2016, right? Yeah. So I don't know if he's getting just kind of like hurrying through the intro stuff, or I don't know. He's just like, hey guys, you know, we have an announcement. Give me fuel. Give me fire. You right. Know, so. Yeah. But you know. No, nothing, nothing bad to say about. In the stadium tour, he was doing the whole like, uh, just one more thing, you know? right, <laughs> right, right. I, it, it must be. I wonder, like, on his set list, it's like insert any dad joke. Just right. this, is, this is dad joke. <laughs> right, right. All right. So then you get the four. The what I, I consider this the this the more the most powerful four song slot. Moth and the sad and the one and the puppets. What do you think about Moth and the drones? What's your what's your vibe on the drones? Oh, just mesmerizing. It's 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 almost a shame they can't use it for the rest of the show. I mean, obviously because of the motif, you, they really can't. But it is mesmerizing, and yeah. and that's that's one of the moments I, in particular, just turned around and looked at everyone, and people are just you know totally totally shocked. Um, <laughs> what kind know, of like, ma- what kind of black on? magic is that? <laughs> right, right, exactly. You know, and and it's sort of a slow lead in, right? Because they, they come up first and they do this like oval, sort yeah. of above Lars, essentially. Yeah. And it's like you know, <laughs> they have to eat Lars. Like, what's going on here? Right. And and then they spread out in this sort of like you know random pattern. Um, but but the one thing I remember about that is you know, at least two of them. Kirk ran into at least two of them. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I remember one in particular. He's like swatted it away, and wow. then you know one of the lighting guys like quickly scurried to try to resuscitate it. But uh, that's it, it's hard for that song is so so good. It's yep. such a gem from that album. Yep, it's so technical. It's so powerful. Um, it it almost takes away from the song in, in a weird way. You know. It it truly amazes me how good that song is. Like, I think the whole record's damn good, but that song, I'm like, holy shit! That it, to me, it's just as good as anything. It's as good as Master Puppets to me, right? In terms of like the, it's complex. It's it's like you know, like the message of the song is really solid. The lyric writing is just really cohesive and solid. That he nailed it. He hit the target. It's got a great solo. It's got these great sections. A great intro. I they mean, play the bridge. <laughs> it is great when they play that bridge because the bridge is so good. They they've got the cubes. They've got some really awesome visuals on the cubes with like, like you know, kind of like the Vegas no vacancy kind of like you know the the, the neon signs to, yeah. to to show that excessive decadence that's part of the you know the whole theme of the song and yep. uh, it's just it's so good. I would love for that to stay. You know, if 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 I were to pick one song, I love Halo. I love a lot of the songs, but I feel like that, I, I, that, that's the song I'd pick to stay on the set list. Me too. But kind of, kind of by, by a lot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So sad, but true. Anything to say about that? Uh, such an epic, such an epic song. Uh, I, I, that's the song in particular. I noticed very little background vocals. So there was, um, Rob didn't even, you know, Rob's not part of that at all. Right. Background right. vocals. And Kirk. it's just Kirk. Yeah. And I, I almost feel like he, you know, they don't tell him that his audio is not being broadcast. <laughs> like it's, he's just there, you know, singing. You can't really but, hear it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you yeah. can't really hear it. I can't. I couldn't hear it on the rail. And when I hear the live mixes, I, I can barely hear him. Right. Right. But uh, no, awesome, you know, awesome song. <laughs> They're like Kirky Poo. <laughs> We're going to have you singing tonight. Don't forget. We're going to mix right. it loud and clear. He's like, really? 
All right. So, do you think? Do you think those guys go back? Do you think those guys go back and listen? To, and like Kirk listened to the to the mix of it. I mean, no way. They're he probably just yeah. He probably just the chances are years, so yeah, low. Now they may have some sort of band meeting where they want to really address, or maybe it's not even that intense. Maybe they're in a tuning room and they're like, "Hey, something's not right in in whatever in confusion." Maybe and Kirk's like, "What do you mean it's not right?" I'm sure that there's some talk of like, and maybe it's James too. Like they've done that. Like go they've back. They've done and look, that in the tuning room videos. Right. Or the, oh, and they'll and I remember that Mike Gillies will actually play the record, yeah. or maybe they'll say, "Let's listen." And Kirk will say, "No, I'm doing the part right." And one of them might say, <laughs> right. "Go go listen to the show and see." Right. It, right. Every band does that. Now, in terms of him just recreationally wanting to hear what he sounds like, or hear if his guitar sounds good, or hear his vocals, there's no. I would bet zero dollars on that. Right. Right. All right, so one and puppets. Anything remarkable about those two? Well, I mean, that was both in Charlotte and Raleigh. James, uh, you know, James, I feel like moves around more on that song than than the other because it's just so long, yeah, and so many different parts. But he, this is a second show in a row where he's done the uh, the the main um, the main machine gun gun riff right in front of me. Oh, love it! Uh, just I, you know, if you were to encapsulate and show like what is one you know what is the most epic I don't know, one minute of metallica's entire career i venture to say that him doing that machine gun riff when the house lights are kind of on um you know or right before it and then it becomes dark and then you've got the strobe lighting i mean that that whole thing uh you know it's ridiculous you know, any any idea that metallica is soft or they've sold out or he's old it just evaporates no i agree i agree i i would put I'd put that up there, and I think maybe the only other moment that could hold its own with that vibe would be the die chant and creep. Right. In terms of like, if you want to show someone what it's all about, those are the two things that might, you know what I mean, that would battle for that. Well, it depends on who you want to show. You might, people might get scared. I'm talking about my grandmother. Chant. Yeah, I'm right, talking right. about my grandmother. My Obviously, grandmother. creep. <laughs> so, all right. So, into Master of Puppets. Master has such a such a great song. You know, he's playing the Carl. He's got yeah. You know they've got. Um, you know I love those moments when they all you know come and they stand on the little like round uh, of yeah. uh, Lars's kit. Yep. And you can see all of them, and it's like such a powerful band. They're just they're just kind of playing almost like in a in a tuning room kind of thing. I thought it was really cool. One of the nights I can't remember which one. They they usually go up there during the Bowie riff of puppets. And they usually kind of face each other, which I really like, but I saw one, it was so badass. James and Rob are up there, and Lars is playing, and Kirk backed up onto it and was still facing the crowd, but he was still with them, you know? It was cool. It was like, I don't know, it was like he was covering them like in a Rambo movie or something. I thought it was awesome. I love to hear their... When they do the guitar mini, a lot of times they like, you know, James and Kirk like to just face each other and play probably because they're playing so fast and they want to make sure that they're they're somewhat in sync but it's just there's that cool vibe and i i you know you hear a lot i don't know if you read like uh if you've got, gone down the rabbit hole of reading youtube comments on the tuning room and stuff oh god but, i try not to yeah i mean it's just you know one of the main themes is kirk is totally ignored like he just he says a joke and it's flat like nobody laughs nobody <laughs> you know it, you almost feel like kirk and james just exist and they're not super tight, which they don't have to be. But in those moments, you're like, all right, they know how to, they know how to bond. Yeah. 
I think the idea that they all, I mean, I've talked about this before, the idea that they all live in the firehouse together and they slide down the pole together and, you know what I mean, like that they're best friends still, that's just, that's just fantasy. Right. I, I think you lose, it's just like any relationship, dude, any 30-year relationship, it's really hard. Like Gene and Paul from Kiss have the same deal. They're obviously great business partners and great creative collaborators, but are they fucking, is James going surfing with, with Kirk? I doubt it. Right. I really, really fucking doubt it. So going into the encore, this is the second most exciting moment, which not to belittle your show, I'm sure it was ex- every fucking moment's exciting when you're there. I'm just talking about set list wise. Where you're like, what are you going to get? You're going to get spit. They're going to reset to battery, blah, blah, blah. And you got kind of probably the most rare thrash slot song. You got Fight Fire. Yeah. It was so awesome. And, you know, that's the time where people are, you know, they're they're leaving right you look at the stands and they you know they're doing the fake fake goodbye and they just leave they're going we're going to get you know get a jump on parking you know leaving the stadium That's and it's insane. like god how do you how do you do that you got to wait at least till house lights are on before yeah. you before you you know leave and then they play the uh the acoustic intro to that oh my god it's such it's such a ridiculous song it's like it's heavy and it's thrashy it's just it's um yeah, it's rare. It, it was, you know, James sounded great on it. They were, I thought they were totally insane. Yeah, I wish I could have seen that one for sure. And so did the, did the people, the people who stayed at least, did they go crazy for that one? Yeah, you know, I think they did. I think people are um, certainly that. Well, it, it wasn't like there was mass exodus, but you definitely saw a bunch of people leaving. But but no, most of the stadium was still there, and it was, you know, people people know that song for sure. I know they could have never planned for this, you know, when they were making those records, but how perfect is it? I mean, maybe they planned this for Spit, but how perfect is it that they have these intros that they can play? It's just like retrospectively so fitting. Like Blacken has the intro, Fight has the intro, Battery's got the intro. And hell, if they were playing it, that was just your life has the great that great, you know, heartbeat intro. Right. No, they've they've They've, I think they, they think a lot about that, certainly as, as you know, think about this, the album openers. I actually have a, a, a playlist of their album opener and closers, yeah. which is it's just an interest. It's almost like it's a, it's a quick snapshot into their whole career without ha- having to spend, you know, 15 hours or whatever it is. Yeah, that's cool. And it, 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 you should try that sometime. It's actually pretty cool. Start with hit and they just hit the lights and they just kind of opener or closer kind of thing. It's, wow. it's, I think they, they give a lot of thought to that. And certainly back in the old days when you had to, you know, in terms of album composition and right. experience. Right. Yeah, I still appreciate that they're making records, you know? like, And I like that there's some homages to their, the the original template. You've got the Barn Burner Thrasher at the top with Hardwired, and then you've got the, the sort of Damage Inc. style Ender, you know, uh, the, the sort of Dyer's Evish spit out the bone at the end. I thought that was cool. Right, right. Even even Saint Anger had that somewhat. With uh, that's true. That Frantic's easily the most thrashy song on there. Although then, Purify was oh. was Purify the last song. No, yeah. all within my hands is the last one. Oh yeah, yeah, but that that's yeah. Anyway, different. Purify <laughs> Purify is like a B side of Saint Anger. That's that's yeah. how that's where it goes. I can't think of a worse thing to say. It's like a B-side. It's like an unreleased St. Anger song. <laughs> All right. Nothing else matters in Inner Sandman. The, of course, the two that you know are coming down the pike. What do you think? So, uh, you know, clearly awesome songs. 
I will tell you, I'm not a fan of the, of Kirk Strat. I, yeah, I'm not really either. I mean, the sound is bad. I, I feel like it's, you know, that, that twang of the Strat. And even on the bridge pickup, I just, you know, he's, um, or sorry, he's, he plays a neck pickup. But it, it just doesn't, it feels so plucky, twangy. Yeah. It just doesn't not, sound right. It's not really working. I know. It's It's got to be just this, it's, I'm sure it's a real cool guitar. He must have gotten it and got, he's, I've done it, dude. He's excited about it and he's going to play it, but. It's not as good. But you as know, Les a Paul decision sure. like that isn't isn't just his. I mean, this is Metallica, right? You you would you would think that at some point, maybe because because James doesn't hear much of it in his mix, he right. doesn't. No, although he must hear because he you know only I think Kirk starts starts it. So you know, it's fine when James come in comes in because then it's thicker and it's better. But you know, when James is doing like you know his solo, you know, on the on the uh, electric and. And then you've got the Kirk doing the strumming the core. It's just something's off about it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I do. I'm not as hard on it as Ethan, but I do agree. I saw it three times in a row, and I was like, nah, it's just not cutting it. I would be real surprised if there's any crosstalk on what guitar you should and shouldn't play. That's probably an off limits. Like, yeah, James might say something like, "I'm not sure the guitar sounds right," but I doubt that he would ever say, "You don't need to play that guitar anymore." Right, <laughs> the, he's the, earned his he's earned his credit. I, I think <laughs> I think they both yeah I think they're both gonna be picking whatever guitars they want to play and probably have been for for a hot minute. But you know it won't last forever. He he'll be he'll be playing that Les Paul again and you know James has played some real questionable guitars too throughout their career. Some real strange. I still see pictures sometimes of James playing guitars I've never seen before, like weird pointy like Slayer looking guitars and shit. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> All right. And then going into Sandman, what do you think about Sandman? It's it's just the reason. It's just the reason. I mean, it's a reason why there are twenty two thousand people in the stands in twenty nineteen. I hate to say it that way. I mean, I love their music. I think it's not it's not the only reason, but it's definitely the catalyst. No, it's for sure. Just so so powerful. Um, they. Yeah, you you guys have mentioned it many times. It's just it's even the haters, even even the trues, even all the people who are tired. You know, when that song comes on, it's like it's everyone knows every single lyric to that song. Yeah, that's the only song I think. You know, maybe nothing else matters, but maybe puppets, maybe, but not everyone. Not your average fan who likes rock music. Who oh, right, you know, who's right. coming. there's a lot of those too. You know. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, from where I could be, like I was, I was on the rail twice, and then I was in a sea of diehards, diehards by Big Mick, and I'm looking at the crowd. Everyone's smiling and singing "Inner Sandman." Yeah. If, yeah. if I saw anyone for their hand, arms crossed, it's like, all right, buddy, you win, right. you win the true contest. Right. Right. Can we have fun now? <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. So, uh, any big takeaways? Uh, I couldn't help but think. Maybe this is I, I don't know you know I don't know if this is the last time I'll see them or not I, I I hope not I hope there's a full other album cycle and they come around and and you know maybe I can go travel somewhere else somewhere else to see them if I need to but part of me was thinking I just need to I need to value sort of what you know what this moment is and how old they are and you know what might happen who knows um, it was they're as good they're as good as they they've ever sounded I'll tell yeah. you that. I agree. I felt all that too. I felt like it wasn't like a sad thing, like, oh, 
they're so old and they're getting shitty. I should really soak this in. It's like, no, they're they're kicking as much ass as I remember from 2000 when I first saw them. Right. And uh, and I'm still grateful that they're making records that good, that they're selling out this many tickets, that people are still this excited. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I felt I felt content. I saw three shows on the World Wire Tour. I know you've got the the Saravan, everyone that sees every show. But I, but for me, I felt like I I've got what I need. I've got your podcast, so I can get my fix whenever I need to. Yeah, I I agree. I f- I feel like I got I got to see five, including the stadium tour, and I feel like I feel real good about it. If if something else, if another you know opportunity arises where I can see them again, obviously that would be amazing. But I feel peaceful about it. I feel like I'll be able to say later from now that. I I showed up and got to see it and uh and of of course there are people who can't you know like you just mentioned so you being able to take your time and come on the show and and give us your perspective and your story and break down the set list is real invaluable for all of us of course you being a patron means a lot to me and Ethan it's part of the reason that the show keeps going and is any is worth a shit in my opinion and uh it's nice to be able to talk to you and tell you thank you in person no problem happy to do it thanks for all you do Hey, it's Clint from Metal Up Your Podcast, and we hope you're enjoying the Metal Tales from the Road series. If you've been keeping up with us, then you already know that we've covered every stop on the 2018-2019 North American Arena Tour, and we look forward to catching up with all of our European friends later this year on the Stadium Tour overseas. And there's more! After the Stadium Tour, we are continuing the Metal Tales series for any Metallica show in the past. Maybe you saw one of the Orion festivals. Maybe you were at the Channel in 1984 and Cliff Burton bought you a beer. Maybe you you were at one of the 30th anniversary shows or you just saw a regular ass show in North Dakota somewhere. We want to hear from you. Since Ethan and I started Metal Up Your Podcast, we've wanted to find a way for listeners to call in and share their stories. Well, this is it. To make yourself eligible for a future or past Metal Tales episode, please consider joining us on Patreon. For $5 a month, you not only get to come on the show as a guest, you also get both of our Cover Our World Blackened EPs, monthly giveaways like deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, posters, and other goodies. You get early access to our YouTube videos, and we also let you ask our guests like Ray Burton, Michael Wagner, Hailstorm, members of Slipknot, your very own questions. For what essentially amounts to two cups of coffee a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. For any of you on the ride with us, we love you, we thank you, peace, and adios. (laughs) 